0: It seems like media outlets always need something big to talk about, from Trump to COVID to Ukraine to abortion. And boy, oh boy, has there been a lot happening on the abortion conversation. Two items are most notable. One is is very popular in the news right now, and the other is not. Uh, The one that's not is that pro-life activists in Washington, D.C. have been able to get the remains of 115 aborted babies from an abortion clinic, uh, some of them being late-term babies. The the popular one is the court opinion by a majority of the United States Supreme Court justices on the future of Roe versus Wade has been leaked, sending shockwaves everywhere and being the story that just happens to be uh, the one that makes everyone forget about all the other big stories that have happened. Unless you think this only affects the United States, uh, we are seeing responses by the uh, politicians here in Canada across the political spectrum. We're going to be talking about these stories and what it means for us as activists with boots on the ground, how we can use these stories in our conversations. You've tuned in to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast cam before we get into our introductions. I think it's important to note that for many, many, many years, pro-lifers in the who are active in the movement, but also just pro-lifers at home uh, who are in the movement but are not active you know full-time uh, or on a very regular volunteer basis but are passionate about the pro-life cause, lament the fact that the media outlets that are supposed to represent them, uh, in some ways, especially when there are news items that are worthy of national attention, completely ignore them. But here we are today uh, with an abortion conversation. What uh, What are your, some of your thoughts as we dive into this? Then <laughs> we'll get into the intro and then we'll talk about uh, the the point of this episode
1: today. Totally. I'm fired up. And like you said, we have... As pro-lifers, I, I think so often, in particular for the March for Life, right? We every year we hear people talk about how we get ten thousand plus people in Ottawa, we get thousands of others in provincial capitals, and the media says nothing. And other major campaigns that we run across the country, and the media says nothing. And even stuff in the states, major things happening, but the media completely ignores it. And we've been, like you said, lamenting, bemoaning the fact that the media seems to to turn a blind eye towards the abortion issue. And yet all of those acts of engagement, whether marches, whether um, direct engagement campaigns, other stuff has been leading towards what is now going to be an absolute explosion as we've seen and as we're going to get into in this episode. Um, And I hope the pro-lifers aren't going to shrink back from what we have been working towards for years, dare I say decades of getting this on the national stage. And so I'm really excited about what's happening. I think that now is going to be the time that the rubber's going to hit the road for the pro-life movement and so many in the abortion conversation on both sides and in the middle of the conversation. Um, now is an exciting time, as I've been saying for a long time now. Now is an exciting time to be a pro-lifer. The, we are starting to get the scales back into s- close to balance. Now is the time to be active. We're going to dive into that though, Peter. Um, but yeah, before we dive into that, we probably got some intro um, announcements and whatnot.
0: That's right. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show and you, my good friend, uh, are the co-host Cameron Cote, uh, who does a lot of things in, in Canada's pro-life movement. So give him a call sometime, get to know him and uh, and befriend Cam. Um, a few things. Yeah. So if you're, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the Ending uh, Abortion in Canada, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to be part of the fight, to change minds, to save lives and to work towards the ultimate transformation of our culture. So check out some of our past episodes. We talk with uh, heroes of ours, leaders in the pro-life movement. We talk about things like the abortion pill, the rise of the pill, but also the abortion pill reversal procedure. We talk about pro-life apologetics that are time-tested and street-tested that we use when we go out on the streets, and we have seen countless people change their minds through the use of these apologetics. talk about strategy, best strategies we can utilize. Uh, But I digress. Go check it out. If, if you want to know uh, about a particular topic, reach out to us and we'll let you know the episode number because there's a good chance that at this point, almost 100 episodes in, sir, uh, not including the Humans of the Pro-Life Movement and the Paul series, uh, almost 100 episodes in, I think we have probably covered it. A um, few things right off the top uh, before we get started. One is the Toronto March for Life is happening in just a few days. This episode is being released on Tuesday, May 11. on May 10, rather. On Friday, May 13, the March for Life is happening in Toronto at, at Queen's Park. Uh, thankful, I'm very humbled and, and thankful that I'm one of the speakers there. Uh, along with some of our great colleagues and friends in the pro-life movement. So we'd love to see you there. We'd love to see you uh, listen to some of the speeches to uh, meet some of the people in the pro-life movement, to meet some of the leaders in the pro-life movement, to hear them and be inspired and motivated by them and to join the hundreds of pro-lifers as we mark across Toronto. I probably won't be across Toronto, um, but I'm sure it will be a significant route um, where you'll be able to meet people and show solidarity uh, with the pre-born babies um in in this small way so that's one of the things cam do you have any announcements uh, before
1: we we just give a brief highlight as to what this episode is going to be about yeah super exciting on my end as well i just got confirmed two days ago that i will actually be speaking at the alberta march for life in edmonton as well that'll be happening on thursday so may 12th um i'll have five to seven minutes to share a little bit about little bit about the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, the group that we both work for, as well as the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And so if you're in Alberta, if you're planning on coming to the March for Life in Edmonton, please do so. We will have our interns there. We will have most of our staff there um, from the Alberta office as well. And so go to Toronto if you want to meet Peter and the crew out there. Come to Edmonton if you want to meet me and the crew in Calgary, Alberta and and this is an exciting time for engaging a lot of the pro-life movement it's really cool to see more and more opportunities for getting plugged in with direct action organizations like the one that we work for peter perfect
0: all right cam there have been a number of very important news items in the news cycle as of late some of them are very popular some of them cam um are not we're going to talk about two of them right now one that um I feel like if you're not active in the pro-life movement and actively seeking news related to the abortion issue, you might not have heard what has taken place. The other is the, the one about Roe versus Wade. And then we're going to talk about how we can use these stories in our conversations because The people we talk to, they also know what's going on uh, in many ways. And sometimes they'll bring it up. They'll bring up talking points that those who are supporting Roe versus Wade right now are bringing up, the ones they're hearing on CBC, CTV, or any other news outlet that is very actively um, decrying and moaning the fact that Roe versus Wade may become a thing of history, something that we rejoice in greatly. So that's the that's the point. I'm going to start with the aborted babies that have been discovered in Washington, D.C. One hundred and fifteen aborted babies were received. Reportedly, uh, pro-life activists received uh, a number of boxes from the driver of a medical waste disposal truck. And so for those of you who have never been outside of an abortion clinic or or are not really sure what happens, uh, the babies are aborted. They're considered medical waste. And then there are medical waste disposal companies that will come in, take boxes or barrels of these aborted babies, um, and uh, yeah, just just the blood and everything else out, um, and then dispose of it in whatever way that company decides to do that. So a company was doing this, pro-life activists had a conversation with the driver, and they were able to take some boxes from the truck um, to, number one, um, highlight the injustice. I mean, they took some photos and some videos, but also to give these young boys and young girls a proper burial. Now, five of them um, were aborted in in violation of federal laws, which means that they were very late-term abortions. I don't have the exact details in that, Cam, but maybe I'll jump to you in a moment. Um, we've seen the photos. Uh, our colleague, Blaze Elaine, sent us an email of the photos uh, to all the staff that we had an opportunity of looking at. And boy, oh boy, were they devastating. Uh, they were hard to look at. I did not get through them all, Cam. I don't know if you made it through them all. Um, but uh, it was they were very rough to look at. If you want to learn more about this, our colleague in the movement, Mark Harrington from the Mark Harrington show has a great episode with AJ Hurley, who was one of the guys who was able to get the boxes of the babies and, and take the photographs and, and part of the front lines in that respect. Um, and, uh, and so go to the Mark Harrington show on YouTube or another uh, podcast catcher. It's a 30 minute episode or so to listen to that and hear a little bit more
1: of the story. Cam, do you have anything to add here? Yeah. So, and and this is a lot of what this episode is. I, I feel like there's a bit of an episode, Peter, of hybrid between our general episodes where we talk apologetics and episodes that we've done in the past called The Pulse, where we cover a lot of the news items. And... When I think about this story, and and as you mentioned, the images, the video footage is just absolutely heart-wrenching, as I'm sure many people can imagine thinking about these children who've been ripped limb from limb. Uh, We're going to put a link to the live action video um, that kind of covers a lot of this um, in the show notes. And so um, please do check that out. Be aware that this is – I have seen literally hundreds of different abortion videos. I've seen some abortion videos literally hundreds of times. This was the most heart-wrenching that I have ever witnessed because of the, the clarity, because of the humanity of these children that was able to be captured through the recording, through the photos, um, and, and the variety of images. It's absolutely heart-wrenching. I, I can't even think of a, a different expression than heart-wrenching. And so what, what I want to share is how do we leverage this towards preventing it from happening again? right? That, that it's one thing for all of us to be appalled. It's all one thing for all of us to talk to our pro-life neighbors and be like, oh my goodness, um, the pro li- pro-abortion pro movement has done this again. I was talking to Mark Harrington actually about this situation um, on one of our recent episodes, actually, actually one of, after the episode that we just published with Mark, about like, how do we as pro-lifers stay motivated? Because Peter, this is not incredibly new for you or I necessarily. We've seen what's happened to Kermit Gosnell, um, the, the Terrible abortion provider in Philadelphia who is keeping late-term abortions in his personal freezer. We've seen stuff from late-term abortions in Canada, America, around the world. We've seen the David DeLeiden exposés. We've seen the stuff that Mark Crutcher and Lila Rose and sexual assault happening within um, within abortion facilities and statutory rape being covered up. Like we see so much of this horrific stuff. And yet it's brand new for so many people in society. And so what I want to share is how can we integrate this into conversation so that we can ensure that this doesn't happen again? This isn't kind of the manipulation of of tragic um, victims for our own benefit or gain, because those who benefit are those who may be scheduled to be killed tomorrow or the next day or the day after. Like you've mentioned, and, and as I mentioned as well, the photographs are so central to this news story because... These five children, particularly those who are late-term abortions, that they're concerned violated the state policy on partial birth abortion or post-birth abortion because of the wounds on the children um, and the the medical opinions on how old these children are. The what is being um, decided right now is whether or not these children were killed by partial birth or after birth abortions, infanticide, whatever we want to call it, ripping apart a child or intentionally killing someone. Um, regardless of whether it's done fully outside of the womb, partially inside the womb or entirely inside of the womb is, is absolutely barbaric. This is an opportunity for us to share the very visual reality of what is going on in the abortion conversation with people, whether that's on street corners, doorsteps, whether this is at your lunchroom or after work, I know that this is so difficult to look at and yet they're so current. And they're being reported by mainstream media that this isn't a matter of, oh, you pro-lifers with your signs I'm sure that you doctored that all up. No, when the Washington Post is is sharing this, when CNN is sharing this, when countless other um, left-wing news agencies are sharing them with the accurate or close to accurate ages of these children, it gives us the opportunity to Kind of shed all of those natural oppositions about the legitimacy of the images and say, you know what, this this isn't coming from ProLife.com. This isn't coming from the Mark Harrington show. This isn't coming from ProLife Guys podcast. This is coming from the police department of Washington. This is coming from CNN, Washington Post, Huffington Post, whatever it may be. And so it offers legitimacy there, but it also can act as a catalyst in conversation, particularly for those of us in Canada, because so often, Peter, you and I encounter people who will say, oh, late-term abortions don't happen in Canada. This is just fear-mongering and scare tactics that, yes, technically speaking, they're legal, but they don't actually happen. And while these images certainly are from the States, not only can we integrate them into the conversation to show these are happening in America. These aren't happening in like back alley China, Vietnam sort of thing where like, oh, well, they live by a different human rights code that so many people will suggest. But no, this is happening in our countries, in our culture, in our society, um, America, Canada, this sort of thing. And it opens up the conversation regarding statistics as well, that tragically, there are reported every year hundreds of children in Canada killed well after they could have survived outside of the womb for various reasons or for no reason whatsoever. And so I would say that for this new story in particular, it allows us to integrate in the images of the tiny human beings and not so tiny human beings who are being ripped apart to connect human to human, to to take this issue that is for so many people entirely abstract and make it concrete, to make it human to human, a personal connection between perpetrator and basically passive or ignorant bystander so that we have fewer people doing nothing about the issue. So first of all, exposing the victims. Second of all, um, highlighting the late-term potential that, yes, of the 115 abortions, only approximately five of them were late-term abortions. That may extrapolate into the current percentages in Canada as well, and yet they are still happening. And that can be a starting point. of At the very least in Canada, where all abortions are legal through all nine months of pregnancy, there's no um, legal restrictions, This can be a catalyst towards, at the very least, maybe starting the the progression towards banning all abortions by protecting at least some children. So those are two thoughts coming out of that news story, Peter. But that's probably the the minor one. The major one that I'm sure that far more of our listeners and our listeners' fears of influence are familiar with is this leaked Supreme Court um, draft ruling on the Roe v. Wade challenge. That's right, Cam. And boy, has this sent shockwaves
0: um, basically everywhere. I mean, one side of the movement is particularly thrilled. The other side is scrambling, trying to figure out what to do, making threats here and there um, on what to do with the court and and all of this stuff. Man, it, it's quite something. A, a brief summary of what has happened. Um, I don't have the date in front of me, but Politico, um, which is an, a news outlet, they received a 98 page draft which was the court opinion in the Dobbs versus Jackson whole Health case. That was before the Supreme Court. We've talked about it in episodes past. It was written by Justice Samuel Alito. Um, and when asked about it, Justice John Roberts confirmed that this was, in fact, an internal document that was a draft on this case that was leaked. He also mentioned that this, the Supreme Court had issued um, the marshal to investigate the leak. Now, this draft highlights the position of the court right now. He said it's not going to be the final draft, Um, but he's, but if you look at what it says, I mean, it is very clear that it will overturn Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. I'm going to share a, a a bit of a quote, Cam, from the draft just to give a bit of an idea to our listeners of kind of wh- the, the 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 vibe that this draft is giving out for lack of a more professional word. Um, And I quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, which is the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of of ordered liberty. The right to abortion does not fall within this category. Until the latter part of the 20th century, such a right was entirely unknown in American law. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elective, elected representatives. And quote, that my friend is some pretty harsh language uh, on Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, something that I'm very thankful about. Um, and if this continues, um, then if it's passed, then abortion rights will go down to the states. And I know, oh boy, is it 12 or 17 states um, have laws on the books that, uh, I can't remember the exact term of what those laws are called, but they'll go into effect right after Roe versus Wade Um, has been overturned, which will essentially ban abortion in all forms in those states.
1: Yeah, this is so encouraging, especially like you said, Peter, in the directness of the language. And I I think that it's important. I think this is a huge step legislatively, obviously. But I think that, again, this is a major traction point that, Cracks open the conversation. I have already seen, uh, unfortunately, several of my friends from high school posting about this and posting about the legal decision, all this kind of thing. And a a common thread um, that, Peter, I'm sure we're going to dive into more is this theme of mothers need access to abortion because there's no other options, because you know what as a last resort as a um, in in crazy circumstances hard situations immense suffering all these things we need to have access uh, to this but nobody wants abortion. How many times have we heard that? Like, it's not that we want abortion, it just needs to be available. And I think that cracks open the conversation to pivot away from the politics. I know that some of our listeners are crazy politicals, not crazy, but like crazy in a good way, very intense politicals, and they, they want to dive into this really deeply. I would love to pivot this towards the educational pastoral side of the conversation, where it's a matter of, why do women feel like they need abortion. Why is society failing mothers so desperately that they're turning towards procedure that they they admit themselves that they don't want? What are we doing wrong that is pushing hundreds of thousands of people in America every year towards making a devastating decision that they don't even want? Let's talk about, as a very first step, let's talk about how for the women who don't want this, for the mothers who don't want to have to kill their children, nobody should ever have to do have to kill somebody that they don't want to have to kill. Nobody should kill somebody that they want to kill either. But it's easy to start by talking about why do all of these mothers view this as their best or only option? Let's provide better options. Let's provide better support. Let's provide better care. This is an incredible launching pad for us to talk about the existing... Um, pastoral support that's already available, it's an opportunity for us to genuinely collaborate on how we're going to address the legitimate problems in our society that demand legitimate solutions, not including killing a child. This is a great way to pivot into the educational and pastoral end of why do people feel like they need abortion? Sure, as we've talked about in other episodes, for some people, this will be a purely principle opinion. And in those scenarios, then we can talk through a lot of the apologetics that we've covered in other episodes. But for many people, this is a matter of, I don't want to get caught up the creek without um, a paddle. Peter, I'm sure that you know the, not only the quote exactly, but also the person who shared it. I know that Justina Van Manen has it in um, her book, Stuck, A Complete Guide to Answering Tough Questions About Abortion, that the quote goes along the lines of, Mothers want abortions like an animal caught in a trap wants to gnaw off their own leg. That's profound. Mothers don't want abortion like they want a Porsche or an ice cream cone. They want abortion like an animal caught in a trap wants to gnaw off their own leg. Let's make abortion unnecessary while we're making it unattainable. And we do that by making it unthinkable. We all come together sparks and, and synergy and all those power words and whatnot. That That's one thought that comes to the the national conversation about abortion. But Peter, this has massive implications for us in Canada as well, right? This isn't just what's going on south of the border, and this isn't impacting the abortion conversation in Canada. What What is this doing to the conversation up here? Before I get there, Kim,
0: I just want yeah. to make one note about um, one of the ways that uh, we can often sort of miss each other in conversations when we're talking to people who support abortion. Um, When people say that what we need is safe abortion, I think Red Pen Logic, our friend uh, Tim, uh, who is an apologist with uh, Stand to Reason, um, he, he said this in response to you can only ban safe abortions. He said, and I quote, safe abortions do not exist. There are clean clinics, sterile instruments, and certified doctors but every successful elective abortion kills an innocent human being, end quote. And so I think, Cam, it's important to note that when we're on the streets and we hear someone say we need, you know, we we can't ban abortions because we are only banning safe abortions, then what they mean when they say safe abortions is what Tim is saying here. Clean clinics, sterile instruments, and certified doctors. What we say when we're talking about uh, like no abortion is safe, is that every single abortion is ending the life of a young human being. And so just keeping that in mind when we're trying to use the principles of common ground, analogy, and and asking good questions um, with those that we're talking to. And as we present the human rights argument, as we've presented it before, um, to, to keep that in the back of our minds that when they say safe abortion, and when we hear safe abortion, sometimes those are two very different things. But Cam, yeah, like you said, um, this is not just limited to, uh, to the United States. I mean, there are people over the world, the world over rather, um, who are commenting on this. But we being in Canada, seeking to uh, equip, I guess, first and foremost, some of our friends and colleagues and activists on the streets, new volunteers and stuff here in Canada, as we do uh, for the rest of the world as well. Let me just share with you a bit of the response from some of Canada's notable politicians. I'll start with Justin Trudeau, our wonderful prime minister, the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, and an esteemed feminist in his own eyes. And he says, and I quote, the right to choose is a woman's right and a woman's right alone. Every woman in Canada has a right to a safe and legal abortion. We'll never back down from protecting and promoting women's women's rights in Canada and around the world. End quote. He certainly is doing that. Uh, as he continues to fight in various ways for more abortion access in Canada and continues to do what uh, a former Canadian ambassador once said, um, which is neocolonialism, um, p- pushing neocolonialism in different parts of Africa and other parts of the world as he spends hundreds of millions of dollars with strings tied um, to these countries as long as they uh, make abortion legal. Christia Freak, Christia oh boy. Christia Freeland, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister said, and I quote, as many Canadians and I as many Canadians, I was both shocked and deeply troubled by the news emanating from the United States yesterday evening with regards to the right to abortion. Expressing myself here today as a woman and as a mother and as the Deputy Prime Minister Prime Minister of Canada, it is important for me to highlight the clear and determined commitments that our government has in protecting women's right to choose, considering that Justin Trudeau said several years ago that no one in his party uh, is going to, uh, you know, allowed to vote or speak pro-life in any way. It's no surprise that the deputy prime minister would say this. There's a lot that can go into Cam her saying this as a mother specifically. Um, Maybe you want to comment about that later. Jagmeet Singh uh, is the leader of the NDP, the New Democrat Party, and he wrote on Facebook, and I quote, access to safe abortion is a fundamental right. I stand in solidarity with Americans fighting to protect this right and vow that new Democrats will never stop fighting to ensure Canadians have access to safe abortion everywhere in our country. End quote. And he said later at a press conference, we know that when abortion rights are denied or when abortion services are denied, the result is women die. It's a strong claim, <laughs> a claim that he made nonetheless. The Bloc Québécois, um, uh, an MP from that party, Christine Normandin, attempted to move a voice vote on a unanimous consent motion uh, in the House of Commons, stating that the House reiterate that a woman's body belongs to her and her alone and recognize her freedom of choice on abortion for any reason. Thankfully, that unanimous consent motion failed. As a number of politicians uh, shouted "no," um, and that's how it, that's instantly how a unanimous motion uh, gets. <laughs> that's instantly how it fails. Um, love it or hate it. Now the Conservative Party, the Conservative Party, Cam. You'd think that as conservatives in the name, uh, they would add some common sense to the conversation a work to provide some helpful commentary. Uh, commentary, uh, maybe add some value to what we're talking about today. And the value that they added from the from the, uh, the head office, as it were, uh, all MPs were informed in a direct email from the interim conservative leader, Candace Bergen, that, and I quote, conservatives will not be commenting. She further stated that it would be inappropriate to comment on matters before the U.S. courts. Uh, that seems to be another way of saying um, this is a too hot a topic for us to talk about because every time we open our mouths, um, you know, we get you know, whatever. There's just a lot going on there, Cam. Um, that didn't stop some MPs from the Conservative Party. Ontario Conservative MP and chair of the House Status of Women Committee, Karen Vecchio, said, and I quote, I have always been the person that says it is a woman's right. That is who I am. End quote. But our man, Alberta MP and chair of the Pro-Life Caucus, Mr. Arnold Viersen, notably a former guest of the podcast, notably for us,
1: because yeah. um, what, a, what an opportunity too, I think. for us. Notably for him, (laughs) I'm sure he puts that on his resume too. I was a a guest (laughs) on on the, I'm sure that when he goes to his um, constituents, we're all pro-life. He's like, you know what, I'm legit. I went on the pro-life guys podcast. There you go. That's your claim to fame, Arnold. Um,
0: He (laughs) says the debate has never been closed and human rights ought to begin when the human life begins. Cam, that's a lot. There were a lot of other MPs as well, but um, those were some of the notable ones. I don't know if you have any comments or any thoughts uh, from some of the response
1: or lack thereof that we're seeing. None whatsoever. No, no, I'm I'm kidding. A few thoughts for me. Um, I mean, all the comments are as expected to be. I mean, the the Conservative Party is largely made up of cowards, and so I wasn't really expecting a whole lot out of them. Props to Arnold Viersen and any other pro-lifers who, um, as the media would put it, stuck their neck out there to, um, oppose ripping apart tiny human beings, um, shouldn't take a tremendous amount of courage to have to do that. But I, I expected nothing different from the liberal or Jagmeet Singh or anyone else, um, where I think that this is so interesting and, and not an argument per se, but something that I talk about fairly often, we're going to talk through the common ground analogy question, human rights argument kind of stuff as to how we can integrate this into conversation one thing that I think gives us a great opportunity here is to appropriate Pascal's Wager into our conversation. Pascal's Wager, I don't know how many people will be familiar with it. It's not an argument for the existence of God, but rather an argument for why you should at the very least live a Christian life ethic of if there is no God and you live as though there were a God, then you basically lose nothing anyways. If you live as if there is no God... Um, And there is no God, then you lose nothing. But if you live as though there is no God and there is a God, then you lose everything. And if you live as though there is a God and there is a God, you gain everything. Therefore, the only sensical wager is to live as though there were a God. Appropriating that towards the pro-life worldview and saying, you know what? Why does this conversation matter? Why is it important to talk about abortion? Well, if abortion does not directly and intentionally kill an innocent human being who has a legitimate claim to the protection of their biological family, then there's a growing number of jerks, like you and I, Peter, who are trying to restrict something that's a totally legitimate practice. And so it matters. We need to have the conversation on that front. But if abortion does directly and intentionally kill an innocent living member of the human family who has a legitimate claim, for the protection of those around them, then there's genocide happening in our country. And I don't say that lightly. I don't throw about the genocide terminology flippantly, but rather we have a defined demographic of human beings, literally humans of a particular age who are being systematically killed by a state-sanctioned program to kill them. In whole or in part, that's literally the definition of genocide. And so whether you want to integrate genocide into your conversation, this is an issue that demands our attention, demands our consideration, and demands our conversation. So let's have the conversation, right? And so it's not just a, a, a spectator sport for us Canadians. I think that this is a catalyst for conversations in Canada that we have to figure out where we're at on this issue. The Americans have taken the lead on engaging society on this pivotal issue that ve- very well may define the breakdown of America. And that's a whole different episode. I'm sure a colleague, Jonathan Van Maren, has covered that on the, on his um, The Van Maren Show podcast as well. But we can use this as a catalyst for starting the conversation so often We have talked at at apologetics workshops and whatever of like, how do you start a conversation about abortion other than on a street corner on a doorstep with that super awkward like, hey, we're talking to people about abortion. What do you think? Right. Like that works on a street corner. But how do you bring this up with coworkers? How do you bring this up with family members? How do you bring this up with people in your community? Well, guess what? They are bringing it up now. Let's bring it up in more than a spectator sport. Isn't this interesting? Let's not bandy words on why or how the position got leaked. Let's not take the easy way out and talk about the administrative process of this ruling, but rather the substantive substantive content of the ruling and what it means for preborn children. Let's go outside of the political stuff. Let's go into the content of whether or not humans should get human rights. And so I think that it provides a, a great opportunity for people that have been looking for an opportunity. We say in apologetics workshops, I've had lots of people tell me, I wish that conversations about abortion came up more often. Well, guess what? They're coming up now. Let's put um, some, some meat behind our words and um, do make good, I guess, make hay while well the sun shines, make good on our commitment to defend pre-born children. Peter, you wanted to jump in there. I do. Yeah, I think there's something important behind what you're
0: saying here right now, Cam. Uh, a lot of us like to think of, when we think about issues like this, we, we kind of, whether we say we do it or not, we put our hope in what happens politically. And and I, I, I'm i reminded now uh, the, of the fact that I'm reminded on an almost daily basis at this point not to put my trust in princes or those who are leading the country uh, in whom there really truly is no help. Um, but that seems to be the way that we often approach some of these cultural issues is how is my elect, elected representative going to vote You know, for this issue? Is, is, is this particular issue going to come up? You know, the real change is going to happen when it happens in Queen's Park uh, here in Ontario, when it happens on Parliament Hill. But And there might be several reasons for that. Maybe we see that as a silver bullet solution, which I love. Um, I wish there was a silver <laughs> bullet solution for the issues that I care about most. Unfortunately, um, I, we all need a reality check in that there is truly no silver bullet solution. Even if Roe versus Wade in the United States is overturned, that is not a silver bullet solution because there are many states that are going to make abortion very, very illegal. They're going to do what Gavin Newsom said and call their state an abortion sanctuary. Now, but this gets to, okay, where does the change happen? And the change happens, Cam, as we've seen time and time again, conversation after conversation, piece of literature, literature dropped off at Front door to front door to front door, going door to door, having conversations, um, you know, going to universities, going to high schools, going to colleges, going to downtown areas and having those individual conversations, making those personal interactions with people, showing them the reality of what abortion is and having these time tested apologetics to use in those conversations that's where we see the change, Cam. And we talk about hope in the pro-life movement. I know you haven't talk about that. So if you want Cam to come to your church or your small group or whatever it might be to talk about hope for the pro-life movement in Canada when it really truly does seem like there is no hope, uh, Cam will share that hope with you Based on his experience and and my experience and our experience as pro-lifers for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform and other similar organizations, our experience being on the streets and having those conversations. And when everyone, not know, everyone, men many people think that no one can change their mind on a topic as controversial as abortion, we are seeing people change their mind all the time. We can talk about babies saved. I've been to an ultrasound. Uh, of a baby that was saved. So many experiences like this that we've had that we forget hundreds, thousands of the conversations that we've had where people have changed their minds. And so that's why we want to talk about the importance of these conversations. Cam, I mentioned common ground analogy in question, and I mentioned the human rights argument. And as I was saying them a little bit earlier, I, w- I, I remembered that it's been a while since we've reminded our listeners what these actually are. And so I wonder, could you um, briefly you know, how would you start a conversation uh, mm. if one doesn't come up and you want to start it? And then how can we use these tools of common ground analogy and question, uh, finding a common, a common ground, ask, using analogies and asking questions, and the human rights argument?
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's lots of different ways that you can crack into a conversation, whether it's something as direct and simple as what we use on street corners so often of what do you think about abortion? It can be where you add on, on all this hubbub around the Supreme court ruling or the leaked documents or whatever. But ultimately when you're met with opposition, that common ground is so valuable in building um, some degree of camaraderie. And I would articulate something along the lines of, you know, you and I can agree that can be really frustrating when governments get too involved in our lives. And you can make the analogy of when governments get involved in our life in restricting our travel, restricting our um, freedom to, to elect representatives, to make decisions about our lives. That is really frustrating. I get that. I get that government has overreached on countless occasions. By way of analogy, we can communicate the principle that... At times, and and you can be as libertarian as you want, there is a role for government, particularly when it comes to protecting human life from the attacks of those around them. You can say, imagine if a government were to restrict a nation's ability to kill born children. Would that be appropriate? Like, is it appropriate that our nation restricts legally our choices as to whether or not we can kill born children, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, that kind of thing. And you're probably going to be met with, well, obviously a government should restrict killing born children. And then the the pivot question, the pivot that brings us from the craziness of what's going on with Roe versus Wade and Dobbs versus Jackson, all that kind of stuff, to the very down-to-earth, very real, very human experience that so many people encounter. If it's legitimate for a government to restrict the killing of born children, then what about the killing of pre-born children? What is the difference? And that pivots into the humanity of the pre-born. Well, they're not human. Well, they don't have conscious brains. Well, they can't survive on their own. Well, what about mothers in hard situations? All these different legitimate challenges that mothers are confronted with, all of these misconceptions around the humanity of pre-born children, that pivots us into the human rights argument. The argument that um, basis to conversation in the humanity of preborn children and not in the craziness of our broken world. And the four questions that I propose to you are this one, can we agree that all living humans should get human rights? Most people are going to agree on that. Two, if something is growing, even from one cell to two cells to four cells, it must be alive, right? Yes. And so if that living organism has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? Yes. Fourth question, wouldn't that make abortion a human rights violation? Anchoring the conversation in the fact that, Peter, you and I and everybody else um, within the human family is equal when it comes to whether or not we can be killed um, as innocent humans demonstrate that they are human and that anchors the question in what is going forward and so that is where we want the conversations to go you don't need to debate whether or not pregnancy is hard you don't need to debate whether or not a child can survive on their own all we need to talk through is whether or not they're living members of the human family and whether or not you can kill living members of the human family to solve even the most challenging of problems and we as pro-lifers and as reasonable human beings i would argue hold that you can never directly and intentionally kill an innocent living human to solve a problem. You have to find better solutions. And that puts the onus on us, right? Like now is go time for the pro-life movement. We have been talking for ages that no, we'll support these children. No, we don't just care about the child before they're born. No, we actually want to help. Well, now is going to be the time for us to put our money where our mouth is, right? And so this is the time, not only to continue investing in political and educational ends, but let's not get caught with our pants down, right? Let's not get caught with a news story coming on a week later of a pregnancy care center running out of diapers because people don't aren't able to have abortion. So they're going to a pregnancy care center and the pregnancy care center shuts down because they don't have the staffing or the support or the diapers, the resources or whatever. Let's not get caught. Um, In this, if you're in a position to do so, let's make sure that your local pregnancy care center is well-equipped and that abortion truly is unnecessary in your community. Let's be able to point to that in our conversations, and let's, as we educate people around the world and around our tables, make sure that as we're um, transforming mind by mind, culture by culture, we've got the, um, the resources to support the infrastructure to back up our principles. Okay. Now's the time. Now might be a year that you invest more into pro-life solutions than you have before. Now might be the year that you invest more into your local pregnancy care center, into your local educational entity, whatever it may be. Now is the time for pro-lifers to put our money where our mouth is. And so, um, yeah, that's what I think on this. We have an incredible opportunity that we've been working towards for so long. People have invested so much time, energy, sweat, blood and tears into this. And let's not have the shoulders of the giants that we have been standing upon go to waste. People, I mean, let, let's think about Eric Scheidler. Eric Scheidler is, I mean, not not to get get too biblical, but like a guy that, that never saw the promised land, never got to see a post-roe world. Let's think about what Eric Scheidler would say, if Roe got overturned and abortions didn't go down because the educational efforts or the pastoral efforts weren't sufficient to handle the overturning of Roe, let's make sure that those that have invested so much time and energy and have passed baton on to us don't get um, the the crazy, tragic, terrible um, response of they did all of this work and then we dropped the baton 10 feet from the finish line. We got a lot more than 10 feet I should say, but let's not be those people. Let's not be the generation that botches Roe versus Wade. For so long we have said that we are the generation that will overturn Roe versus Wade. Let's not be the generation that botches the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Cam, that is uh that's a fantastic
0: place to end, but I do have to say one thing before we end. So, uh <laughs> Hopefully I don't take away from that um, Cam, you posted a video a little while ago on our YouTube channel, which you can find at the pro-life guys podcast, if you're not there right now called how to change someone's mind on abortion, which is a presentation that you did. Um, and we've sort of released that so that, uh, other community groups and others, uh, can have access to that and, um, and learn from you in that way. So I want to direct people to that. We're going to put the link in the show notes as well. Do check out the links that we put in our show notes, um, because we have some, very notable ones this time. Um, but do check out that presentation. Even more than that, though, Cam loves to do Zoom presentations to churches and youth groups. But even more than Zoom presentations, oh. he loves to come and be there in person and to and to chat with you, to chat with your group, to chat with your church, to chat with those around you uh, on how to talk to people about abortion. Cam, you did a fantastic job just now in sharing how we can use these conversational tools and tactics of finding common ground, using analogies and asking questions and the human rights argument. But Cam, if you go to a church or to a small group or to a youth group or to whatever sort of group your group is called, um, you, you answer questions, you sit down with people, you, um, you, equip them with the tools that they need. And then Cam, you go door to door with them as well to have those conversations so that they can witness what those conversations look like in real time, not just in the academic setting in a church basement, but on the front doorsteps of someone who thinks abortion is okay. So reach out to Cam. Um, Cam, I'm gonna I'm gonna give your email address because you've done it many times. So I feel like I have uh, the right to do it. C C C O T E at endthekilling.ca.com. And, uh, and do, do connect with Cam because uh, he's super good at it. There are probably uh, local against abortion groups somewhere in your area as well. So connect with them. And I think it's important to note, Cam, just as we wrap this up, we're going to have good days and bad days in the pro-life movement, um, whether individually or whether as a pro-life movement as a whole. We're going to have political wins and we're going to have political losses. We're going to have judges on our side that rule in ways that uphold justice. And we're going to have judges that are not on the side of pre-born children and uh, do what they can to propagate injustice. We're going to have days of encouragement. Cam, you could talk about many of them. We're going to have days of discouragement. Cam, you could probably talk about many of those as well. And boy, boy, so can I. But none of this should stop us from living out our pro-life convictions, our convictions that tell us that Abortion is a human rights violation because the pre-born children are, in fact, pre-born children. Their lives have begun. Their uh, their journey in this world has begun. And, and what abortion is, is intentionally and strategically tearing them apart limb from limb from their mother's womb. And so we want to encourage you in the midst of this news cycle where things are going great because we know what's probably going to happen to Roe versus Wade, but also in the midst of news stories where things are going to be really bad to continue having those one-on-one conversations. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's not like you're going to be talking to a philosophy professor every time you knock on someone's door or talk to someone at work, Um, but have those conversations, challenge people, do what Greg Kokel writes about. Uh, when he talks about Christian apologetics, and that is putting a pebble in someone's shoe. That means you might not change their mind when you interact with them at first, but you've given them something to think about, something to ponder, something to go home with. And uh, and we've seen, Cam, time and again, where people have changed their minds after that pebble's been placed there. And weeks and weeks later, they've had a number of other interactions, and um, and then they come to pro-life convictions as well because of those interactions. So continue to get out there, continue to change minds, continue to work towards the saving of young lives, young little lives of little boys and little girls, and continue to work with us to the transformation of our culture.